0: Us to be here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and shut the door. Those that are coming, they can. But as we look to continue in our journey through the New Testament, we will finish up, Lord willing, with 1 Timothy today and in 2 Timothy. Are you able to get any copies? No.
1: I have.
0: So let's let's pray and get started. Father, we thank you that you are here, that you're with us. You want to teach us, you want to guide us, and you are good. And so now we thank you for your guiding presence as we study your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last time we began, we began at 1 Timothy. I will to quickly make a couple of copies. Was there someone who was not here last time? Okay. Any, any others? So I'll have some copies up here for those who might come in. <clears throat> We started this by way of summary of saying that now as we get to 1 Timothy, we start in what we call the pastoral epistle. We talked about the four prison epistles that Paul would have written when he was in jail, in prison, and we looked at all of those, and now Paul is getting closer to the end of his life. He doesn't know that, but he knows that that um, well 2 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, he definitely knows it. But he knows that he's closer to midnight than not in his life and he wants to start preparing young men for ministry and so he writes two letters to a young man named Timothy and another one to Titus. We looked a little bit back on the fact he wanted to help these men to become leaders in the church. And we started to work our way through uh, who was Timothy, that he was a a man of character, um, that he was had a good reputation in his hometown, in his home church and he served on the second and third missionary journeys, and would often go in the place of Paul. Paul would need a report from a certain church, and he would often send Timothy to find out what's happening. Um, we didn't want to discuss who wrote it. We said Paul wrote it. That's enough. But this... In different contexts, when I was teaching in a seminary context, we would need to talk about all of the arguments, why somebody other than Paul wrote the letter, and why those arguments are not that strong, and you know, that's just, that's what keeps, keeps academicians uh, busy, and keeps the publishers going as well. But in this context, we can just pass over all of that, find a good New Testament survey book, and you can look at some of the arguments that are there. It always circles back to the testimony of the church as being correct. Yes, Paul wrote this letter from uh, Macedonia, and there's different things we've shown. I think we got as far as the major themes, and uh, we had a little bit of a discussion as we got down to the the first point on the clear instructions for men and women in the church. Yes, there was confusion in that day. Yes, there was. the wrong ideas. Yes, there was going outside of God's limit, even in that, in those days. And so Paul has to bring us back to creation and God's good creational model, and that that is what, how we are to act in the family, in marriage, in the church. And then we had a discussion on, or at least we started, we could we could pick up at that point, qualifications and responsibilities for elders and deacons in the church. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter three. Keeping in mind the purpose for which Paul is writing, he's telling Timothy how the church should be conducted. Uh, he refers to the church as the pillar of truth, as he writes to Timothy. And then, so how should the church conduct itself? And so, in in chapter three, after he has talked about the the, the, the roles, as it were, of men and women and their God ordained uh, blessings and limitations, then um, he gets to what are the offices in the church? What are the spiritual leaders in the church? And so we have these qualifications for the elder and for the deacon. And I'm not going to go through them one by one. Actually, what I'd like us all to do is take about a minute and just read through. A minute and to read through. Read all the way down to verse 13. And then let's have a discussion of what we see here concerning the elders and the deacons. Because it's important for us to be reminded what it is to be a spiritual leader. Had a chance to look at this list, summarize with me. What is an elder? Someone above reproach. Okay, above reproach. And what does that mean, to be above reproach? That you don't have any you know, sinful vices, that you're to, you, you're not abusive good reputation, yes. good conduct. Okay. Very good. What else? What is it know? Control the household. Okay. So what, what does that look like?
1: Uh, disciplining children and loving your wife.
0: Okay. So dis, uh, uh, disciplining, instructing your children in the ways of the Lord, loving your wife. There's order. There's Peace. Huh. There's growth. Right? There's discipleship taking place. Okay. What else do we see? Well, it shouldn't be a
1: good convert, it's so.
0: Right. And why is that good wisdom? It shouldn't be any what did you a, a, a recent convert. Why is that good wisdom? Because you can be swayed by <laughs> other information. Yeah, you can be swayed, right? So he's not be in Christ. He won't be mature nope not as mature as probably need to be. I mean, hopefully all of us are growing in maturity, right? It's okay to become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. Wow. We need to be careful not to put people in positions of leadership too quickly. If you look at all of the scandals over the past, let's say, 15 to 20 years, just in the context, I'm not talking about scandals that I'm aware of in other parts of the world, in almost every situation it was someone that was young and it was too much too soon. Okay? Not quarrelsome. Not quarrelsome. Uh, but just to finish the thought on too I'm much too soon. No, you're, you're just fine. It's the temptation is there. For, let's say, a younger man, let's say he has a degree of gifting. Let's say he has a degree of ministry success. And people say, wow, you are, you know, and, and there should be affirmation from the people of God that you have the gifting, that you could be in the office of pastor or elder. But, if it's too much too soon, the temptation is what? Start believing your own press releases, right? Start, start thinking that you're really all that. And you may not have the, the heft and depth of life Right to be able to balance some of the things that are coming at you. So we've seen these horrendous and terrible stories of young men that were very gifted in communication, actually very solid in doctrine for the most part, but have succumbed to temptations one after the other, and it ends up leaving a black eye in the church. And then what was it, what was that you read? Will come under the judgment of
1: and of the devil. I mean, it was the same judgment as the devil. Yeah, scorn,
0: right? And, and yeah. So it's. It's not for the faint of heart, so to speak, right? I mean, it's just uh, it's something that's a high calling. We are in uh, 1 Timothy 3, looking at the office of elder and pastor and the qualifications that are there. <clears throat> okay? So, at the beginning, it says it, it's, a, it's a noble task. It's a noble desire, right? So, that tells us that there is a desire to be in spiritual leadership that is godly. Of course, there could be a desire to be in spiritual leadership that is not. And it takes... a the wisdom of the church to discern whether it's one or the other. Um, but what if we were to say, because <laughs> these requirements are tough, right? They're high. So now what if I were to tell you that all of these different qualifications show up elsewhere in the New Testament to apply to all believers? Right? That's what's in your Constitution. It's, it's also in the Word of God. So we'll start there. You have that. included as everybody's supposed to. That's right. That's right. So now that we as the community of saints, of the church, and we look at this list and we say, yes, we need to carefully discern who are those men that are being in this position. But we also see our responsibility in it as well, that we individually as a community need to be growing in these things as well. It shows that it really does take all of us to build a church. It really does take all of us to be a discipling, affirming community. And then the challenge is on all of us, isn't it? Um, I think I would I fear for any man that would step into the office of elder pastor, would read these, this list and say, Oh, I got this. Because it's, it's a, it is a noble task, but it is a high calling, and it needs to be handled correctly with great humility and wisdom, and then accountability and the community and all the relationship building that goes on around it. And I think when we look at this list, I think we, we understand why. I just want you to just glance over at 1 Timothy 5.22. Paul is instructing Timothy about what's going on in the church and widows and elders and others. And he says in verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Now it's in the context of elders. So you see what the high calling that is there in 1 Timothy 3. He says, don't be quick to put someone in a position with too much authority too soon. Because you can see how that affects the whole church, right? When, when a spiritual leader... Falls. It has a tremendous effect on the whole community. And so he's saying, this is how you should instruct the community. Don't be quick to put someone on. I remember, uh, uh, I remember in a situation where I was, I was a student leader in the ministry of Campus Crusade for, for Christ. And we, we did not have full-time staff, so we were student-led. And there was a young guy that I'd led to Christ, and he had come out of a terrible background. And we were looking for people to kind of be involved in this and this. And I made the mistake of putting him in a position a little too soon hadn't learned from He just wasn't mature enough at the hand. I was hoping he could grow into it. He didn't. So I read this verse, it's like, guilty as charged. I was too quick to put somebody in a position of influence. Better to wait than to go too soon, uh, so that we would recognize these people are qualified. Yes, there's a question.
1: I think it's one thing to say that we should all have these characteristics. Yes. Because we all should be living with our family life, our community life in this way. But when you. Hold someone up that now they have that position. Yes. Now people are all looking. Yes. And watching you to say, "Oh, you're, oh, you represent the church, and look what you've done." Yes. So it's it, it's a huge responsibility to know that that's what's happening, and it's like, well, your children all have to be perfect, and then it's like you wonder what you know, how you have to handle life given life.
0: Yeah, It's definitely a great challenge, right? And, and that's why then that, that, that community comes together and says, we're we'll going to pray for you, we will respect you, we'll serve alongside you, we'll learn from you, but we'll also hold you accountable. And we, you know, we, we had a, a fantastic congregational meeting last week. We're talking about the the constitution and bylaws, and I love the feedback. Of people were taking it seriously, and even though it was a little bit bulky, you know, as an administrative task, it was good to see people involved. All right, and and that's what we need. We need we need to kind of stumble through some of these bulky processes together because it, now it is something that we do together. It's something that we subscribe to together, and so it'll continue. Yeah, we have a new constitution now, but also. The mandate is, hey, we can continue to improve and discuss and vote on. I find that to be a very healthy process. We see similar, then, um, responsibilities for deacons, okay? Deacons serve a very, very important role in the church, and they have very high standards that they are to follow. And really, the only difference that I can see is that one is the elders give more of this kind of the spiritual instruction and guidance and teaching, but it doesn't mean that deacons don't have spiritual influence in guiding and teaching, right? All of us need to be and ready to teach the Word. But their goal and their role is to be serving the saints. And we have a great team of deacons and deaconesses here that are working hard to grow and growing and improving. Yeah? Um, First Timothy
1: 3.12 says, okay. Deacons be the husband of one wife. So is it scriptural to have... Um, women deacons, not deaconesses. I don't mean
0: that because that's, that's something different. But So, what, how would it be different? I'm just asking.
1: Well, like, like a lady that's on the deacon board, separate boards. We have deaconesses. So, we have two boards, right? Yeah. Deacons and deacons. But, but yeah. we do have a lady on the deacon board. And I'm just asking
0: if mm-hmm. we do?
1: Well, we did.
0: We don't right now. Okay. Yeah, we don't right now. And, uh, we have one on the trustee yeah. board. <clears throat> we have one on the trustee board, yes. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Yeah, and and I look at the trustees as kind of the, uh, the caretakers of okay. the physical property in the church. And from my my point of view, it's like, I have the most qualified to do that. Sure. Yeah, okay. okay. But we don't, have, we don't have women serving on the deacon board, the elder board, but we do have a board of deacon does that answer the question? Mm-hmm. Okay, all
1: right. I was wrong. No, 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 no. no.
0: This, this is. On on. I was. I thought
1: she was deacon. Yeah, okay.
0: I remember now. Yeah, all right. Any other thoughts about deacons, elders, boards? You know how that works together. How we interact with these spiritual offices, as you will, boards. Because Paul went to great lengths, right, to give instruction to Timothy and how the church should handle those affairs. It doesn't give the exact. A, 1, subclause A, B, C, but it gives the general parameters under which we operate, okay? We have to, under the guidance of God, as a local community, put together the P's and Q's of what that would look like in daily life. But we can't go beyond the principles that are written. We're guided by the principle, right? Yes.
1: I guess in that vein, there's other leaders in mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. um, teachers of Sunday school classes, I lead choir, mm-hmm. um, other no, Awana leaders. Is there
0: some sort of concept on that? Well, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so. Good. Good. I mean, the Constitution calls for these godly attributes in your yes. people, so yes. it's, it's it all the same. The qualifications are the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should you should desire in the leaders that you have. They have high calling. Yes. And that you've looked them over. That's all. Yes. So um, I kind of see deacons, elders, maybe even pastors' offices that God has set up, that there's an office. And there's a calling to serve in those offices, and, and they oversee the management of the church, the spiritual guidance, whatever. But there are different needs within that that can fall under the governance of those things. So, um, in theory, if not always in practice, but in theory, all those things should ultimately be under the supervision of the elders, the teaching ministries, the the, ser- the, the service ministries. Then it would be more under the deacons. Now we're a dynamic community it's changing Um, it doesn't always happen in the ideal way but there's the ability to come together to talk and say well at least have some understanding of what's happening here so that we're all in a sense kind of moving in the same direction you know and so I think we're all learning. I know I've learned a lot in the five years I've been here. And I think we're all learning, but um, I would see those as just important ministries. And the Bible doesn't spell out every possible ministry that could come along to youth or addiction recovery or evangelism uh, efforts, you know, that go on a radio ministry or things like that. But they would need to, in my mind, they should all come under the authority of a church board somewhere. Right? I don't know. I wrestle with some of the parachurch ministries that kind of separate themselves so much that they don't go under the authority of churches or at least a a, a grouping of people that would represent churches. So, uh, because we're supposed to be all ending in the same direction, right? So I think there's a question here. No question. The question was answered. Oh, no. okay. Just waving, uh, you're just waving it? Yeah, you're just waving it. That's nice. So we move on to the major themes of the book. Teach teach well and avoid error. And unfortunately, it doesn't show up on the, the audio recording. So we do have to do a little bit of a play-by-play play what's happening here, okay? Um, Teach, teach well and avoid evil. And we know that uh, where Timothy was serving, where Titus was serving, where Paul was serving, uh, uh, like James is dealing with it. It's just this constant battle of truth and error, the, the conflict, te- temptation to mix them. And there are certain errors that he's trying to help him overcome. They brought in things from the culture, they brought in things from their former life in Judaism. And and they need to be sanctified as it were under the gospel and brought in their form of Christ. So um, he even says that some are going to I mean, so the Spirit expressly says verse four chapter four. That in the latter days, now he's writing in the sixties. Sixties in the first century. Okay? The later times. Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. These things were happening in his time. So the later times, the end times doesn't necessarily mean some um, yet undefined period at the very end of time. It just means from the time that Christ has come, brought in the gospel, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, until the time when he returns and is fully consummated. That can be considered these ten times. Now, will there be magnifications or multiplications of evil? Church history is littered with it, where certain cultures just totally gave themselves over. I mean, the church in Europe has by and large disappeared. Why is that? Because they succumbed to a lot of false teachings. But in the meantime, the church in Africa is exploding out of this as it is in Asia, as it is in Latin America. So he's um, just to look, they're going to be there. They're bringing these false teachers, and it's been a problem since the beginning. Um, and the, the, the thing about rule-keeping and making sure that we have whatever. So um, it's our calling as a church. This is why I pointed out that the, these principles that are here that are supposed to be In the elders and pastors, and we agree they should, but then also in us. It's because we need to watch over one another so that these false teachings don't come in. So that these wrong ideas don't come in. So in that sense that each of you is a guardian, as it were, to the church. You might see something on Facebook. You might hear something in a conversation, a text, or whatever, and you know it's wrong. And you might say, well, uh, I'll let the pastor deal with it. You know, you might be the point person at that point to, to talk to that person and say, hey, don't spread this anymore. There's error here. And you could be involved in protecting the teaching ministries of the church so that these lies don't spread, so that they don't get passed on because until somebody points out they're wrong, they're just going to keep on being passed on. Now, some people will still say, no, I still want to pass it on. But you've done your part. You know, you have defended the truth. You have defended the faith. So Paul says it's going to happen, so be right. Take well, teach well, and avoid error. And then he has an extended section in chapter 5 about dealing with the the widows and how to treat elders and what to do with slaves. Paul is very intentional and very practical in this letter that he writes to Timothy about how to run the church. And I appreciate the wisdom that is involved here. Uh, That he's talking about not only the human family taking care of widows... Elders need to take care of their families, but also the church family, taking care of one another um, and, and dealing with spiritual leaders. And then what about those that society doesn't uh, treat well? We need to treat them with dignity and with respect. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. It does say um, over 60 and a wife of one husband. So, <laughs> how do we deal
0: with that? I don't know. Ask somebody else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you didn't have to answer it, but I thought it was interesting. <clears throat>
0: what, you know, there was a cultural context in this, right? Something that was going on. And he even talks about young widows yes. that should get remarried. Right. Um, and and families should take care of widows so that they're not being like unbelievers there's something culture that was going on there on I mean, be honest; i don't know all the details uh it's a it's a principle that is true he's giving a particular cultural application there i don't know uh, it's okay i don't know that would be the exact rule today i think that taking care of widows is still active today and how do we do that and um i just had a conversation yesterday uh, with some kids that were expressing concern about a parent, will that parent be taken care of? And uh, as measures being made, it's like we're trying. We've got a loving community here that does take care of widows and widowers, and we're trying to grow in that. But um, yeah, so I don't know. Did I put your name on the list? Is that what we're supposed to do? <laughs>
1: no, I've only been a wife of one husband, but I, it's my job to
0: antagonize you. Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> well, thank you. Even answered your call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then talking about money, uh, money is a gift from God, right? It is a gift from God. I, you know, I don't apologize for saying I think that Christian capitalism is the best system there is. It takes into account the talents that we have. It takes into account that God is the one who distributes the gifts, the talents, the abilities, and the, the, so that wealth is created, so that wealth can be shared with those in need. But that all needs to be done from the, for me, the local level, the individual. Where the Christian part is, it's tempered now. It's not a greedy capitalism. It's not a vulture capitalism. It's a capitalism that promotes human flourishing, that really seeks to see wealth develop for the flourishing of others. Okay? Well, money's a problem in every situation, if not handled correctly. And thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about it. And we can look at those that are prospering it's been through the industry and good work of their hands. And then we look to help those who maybe haven't prospered as much because they're in different situations. And that way then the church takes care of itself. I don't like a centralized organization doing that. I just, I believe strongly in the utter or total depravity of man. And so I don't trust more and more power concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. Is that right? So if, there's, if it's spread out, there's more accountability and more local involvement, then he got a better shot at it actually being done wisely. So uh, deal wisely with money is one of the things that he says, and we still need that. And then he closes with some instructions for Timothy, you live wisely yourself. We see a common theme, don't we, going through First Timothy. We need to have wise leaders, elders and deacons, we need wisdom in dealing with daily life, in dealing with the widows in our church, in, in dealing with problems, dealing with the wealthy. But you, Timothy, you need to be also living in a wise way. Because um, that's what we need, that wisdom that comes from God. Any thoughts about that? About any of these, or anything else you see in 1 Timothy that you'd like to ponder?
1: Timothy just it points out the the width of the of what it takes to be that kind of leader yeah. and a pastor who's gonna live right themselves and yet be concerned for everything and watch over this and this, it just makes huge job description.
0: Which is why I firmly believe and I think the biblical model is what we call the plurality of elders. Paul pointed elders as he went to the different cities as he was planted churches because um, there shouldn't be a one-man show. This needs to be shared leadership, shared wisdom, shared lives, because it's, it's a big task for one person. It's a big task for a handful. But at least there, then, there is the community and communion of accountability. So yeah, you're right. Um, James says, not many of us can presume to be teachers. Why? Because we're subject to a harsher judgment, as you have said. Or you hold yourself up as a teacher and look at it, you know, and then you bring shame to yourself, to your church, or whatever. So, Yeah. Um, are there any human examples of someone admitting error in their teaching? The closest example I can think of is when Cephas was redirected by Paul. In the scripture, somebody's saying, I was wrong in my teaching? Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't know, help me out. Can you think of an example of... Uh, of somebody admitting that they were teaching something that was wrong.
1: Well, Peter and uh, Paul,
0: you know, right. Peter was
1: re- reprimanded, and I believe he took it
0: and accepted it. I think it's implied that he took it, right? Because they remained in apostolic fellowship and served together till the end. We just don't have the recording where Peter says, "I was wrong." We have Peter say it. We have Paul say, "Peter, you're wrong," and I made sure I said, "Told everybody," with uh, you there. A good question. There are, there are cases in the scriptures where somebody said, I have sinned. When their sin has been confronted, false teaching. I don't think of an example, but I'll give it some thought this week. Maybe you guys have an example in mind. But in every, almost every book of the New Testament, the idea is mentioned that there will be false teachers, that there will be false teachings, and God's people, therefore, are vigilant and watch out for them. So... Uh, scriptural examples, no. Practical examples, I've met people that have changed their thinking on different doctrines and what have you. Um, but I, don't, I can't think of an example in Scripture. But let's do some digging together, okay? Other thoughts on 1 Timothy? All right, as I have, have of doing, what are some of the things that are unique? We've already talked about it, but 1 Timothy says more about ministers and servants of the gospel than in any other New Testament book. They have our clearest description of what the office of elder looks like, the office of deacon, what spiritual leaders look like. It's not that they're not mentioned in other places. This is just the most concise and clear list. We have a list of specific instructions on how people are to live. And that will continue in 2 Timothy, by the way. Um that character number four, character and conduct are more important than one's position. I would teach my students when I was preparing them to be a ministry in the Middle East, and I'd say your most important qualification in ministry is your integrity. And if you give up that, you gotta lose Integrity in your book. <coughs> Integrity in your marriage, integrity in how you handle the money, integrity in how you deal with people. Um, There are too many temptations in ministry that if you're not walking in integrity, do something else. Don't shame the church. And I think that's right. Paul (laughs) emphasizes that. The character that leads to proper conduct is so critical. Okay, and then (laughs) number five, I only chuckle because. We all know church history. Christians like to argue about all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it's okay to have the discussion, but what do we do with it? Okay? So if I had to summarize, if I only could pick two verses, these are the two verses that I would pick. Let's start with the second one. Paul is telling Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in what? He gives five areas. In speech and conduct, and love and faith and in purity. So young people can be an example. Timothy is exhorted to be an example. But to that same Timothy, he says, be careful, don't be in a hurry to appoint other spiritual leaders. That there still is the need for wisdom to meet the spiritual qualifications. But you, Timothy, and there are young men that become wonderful examples. Um, Charles Spurgeon preached his first sermon at age 17. Became a pastor of what we call today a church in 1819. Was pastor in that pulpit until he died at age 57. Not a stain of compromise on his character. Godly man to the end. But we know about him because, in a sense, that's just a shining example of the faithfulness of God protecting one of His chosen servants. Often men start ministry too young and it doesn't always end well. Okay. 1 Timothy 3.15, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar, the buttress of the truth. Wow. Church is the pillar, the buttress of the truth. That's why we, we love the church so much and we defend the church and we serve the church because that is the depository, as it were, of the truth that God has given. And we need to present that and proclaim it to live without okay. It's a good book. We'd be much poorer as a church if we didn't have this book. Because there's a lot of things that we would not know. But God whose goodness has given it to us as one of these 27 gifts that fits together in this whole body of knowledge that He wants us to have. Okay? Any, any comments? Let's go ahead and move on. Let's go to Second Timothy. Um, somewhere, I think I have handouts. For those that don't have them,
1: on the table. This is First Timothy.
0: that Paul probably wrote Titus in between 1st and 2nd Timothy. 2nd Timothy seems to be the last letter that he wrote. We know that based on what he says, I know that my departure is near. So, um, if in fact this is the last book, we'd like to read the last words. We'd like to hear the last words of saints. This is why I shared in the sermon this morning. What were some of the last words that I heard from Phil Peterson? No condemnation. He died in hope in the gospel. He understood the implications and effects of the gospel. And we rejoice with him that he is experiencing release from the weakness and sin and death that is in this world. Um... Well, Paul is writing these letters, this letter, and he knows that his end is coming. We don't know if he ever made it to Spain. Remember, we had that, con- that con- uh, conversation where he told the church in Rome, I hope to come and see you, and I hope to go west. I hope to go to Spain. And there is one letter late in the, the, the first century that talks about Paul going to the far west, which if you think in terms of the geography, that they would have known the far west was Spain okay so it's possible that he did we don't have any details on it we don't know if he eventually did make it to Spain um but if he had by this time now he's nearing the end of his life he's writing 2 Timothy um if he'd gone on a a fourth missionary journey that we're not aware of that's come to an end now and he's going to write this apostle uh, write this letter to Timothy epistle apostle it's all written from my brain um it's almost like he gives his last will and testament. So, we, Paul wrote it. Uh, we're not going to engage in the argument. I don't see any reason why we need to discuss. It just seems so Paulian. It just reads like Paul and the other letters that he wrote. He's writing probably just before his death. There is some discussion about during that reign of Nero, when exactly he died. We just know that Peter and Paul both died during the reign of Nero sometime in that window of about 65 to 67 AD. They died in different ways. Um, but he's in prison. He's awaiting his execution. And so what is he going to say? This is his last chance to mentor and train a young man in ministry. Um, in this letter, there are many encouragements, there are exhortations, and there's goodbyes. And so he definitely is writing to someone who is saying goodbye to a good friend, preparing him for ministry. And it's okay for us to learn how to say goodbye. We need to learn how to say goodbye. Paul, as he was meeting with the elders in Ephesus, told them goodbye. Not goodbye forever. He said, You won't see my face again on this earth, but you will see me again one day. Goodbye. How to properly close out um, relationships, because there is going to be a goodbye for all of us. Um, Not an ultimate goodbye, just a temporary one. Uh, But it will still be there. Yesterday as I left, I prayed over Phil and I was holding his hand and, and, I, and I just said, goodbye Phil, I'll see you again one day. He, his voice was him and very weak all day, but that was the strongest his voice was when he said, bye. Mm. Thank, thank you. And that was his hope. He wanted to sing, standing on the promises, and he sang, standing on the promises. Promises. He wanted to hear from John 3, so we read from John 3. We read from Rome. It was a sweet time. It was a painful time, but it was a sweet time. This is what Paul's trying to do with Timothy. He's not able to be with him in the room, in the same place, but he's writing Timothy to say goodbye. So he, he gives some encouragements, stay strong, oppose false teachers, the last days are going to get really bad, and goodbye. So really, he was looking forward to discuss the main themes of the book. It's a simple book in some ways, it's a challenging book in others. He talks about persecution. He talks a lot about persecution in this book. He opens with persecution in chapter one verse 12. He talks about it in chapter four, six to eight. He talks about places where he has suffered, in chapter three verse 11. He invites, uh, he says I've been abandoned by some. He knows the pain of betrayal. He knows the pain of abandonment. He even invites Timothy to join him. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 12, that all who are in Christ will suffer if they're living in righteousness. So what is his response then as he talks about all of his hardnesses persecution? Well, he gives a whole bunch of things. I don't know how much I put in your notes. Actually, I didn't give you very much. Uh, He he says in chapter two, verse one, he encourages Timothy to be strong. Chapter two, verse three, to endure hardship. Two, verse four, to work hard. Chapter two, verse twenty-two, and follow to be pure. Chapter three, verse fourteen, to continue in good teaching. Chapter four, verse two, to preach and teach at all times. So in chapter four, verse eight, he will receive a crown. Good advice. Persecution is coming to you, uh, Timothy, so this is how we deal with it. We endure, we work hard, we remain pure, we teach, we preach, because we will receive. But then he has to get talk about some really painful things, that this opposition isn't just from the outside. That some of the opposition comes from the inside. Yes?
1: i got a question. Um, in, under the under the date in B, Paul knows that his death is near as he writes this letter and he put Second Timothy six.
0: Well there is no Second Timothy six. So You're right. So what what's my title supposed to be? Nine to twenty-one. Chapter four, verse nine says, Do your best to come to me soon. Verse 21, do your best to come before winter. So I'm sure that's probably what I said.
1: Six says, oh, "I'm being put out of no,
0: time of my departure." Japan. Anyway. Look, chapter four, verse six.
1: Um. Yeah, chapter four,
0: well. I'm already being part in the time of my departure. So yeah, thank you. Let's correct that. So, chapter four, verse six, verse nine, and verse twenty-one. So that's probably what I was supposed to put in there was the four before the six. Good catch. Chapter four, verse six. 9 21. Where, Where So it, it would be on um, uh, the first page, page 52, major section 2, the date, part B. Paul knows that his death is near he writes this letter. It should be Second Timothy 4, verses 6, 9, and 21. Recites several examples in this letter of those that he thought were fellow believers who have caused him harm. The um, verse 15 of chapter one: You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Just think of the emotion behind that statement. All in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Philemon and <coughs> my Um He talks about them wandering away from the truth in chapter 2, verse 17. Hymenaeus and Phileas, he gives the name of two others. He mentions Demas in chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Why is this one especially so hateful? Because in the book of Colossians, he commends Demas as a fellow servant. And between the time of writing about Demas in the book of Colossians, about 62 A.D., to writing to Timothy in about 67 A.D., Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You can feel the pain in this pastoral letter, those that were with him that have left. Um, And he wants to be found faithful and strong to the end. Uh, Verse 17 of chapter 4, But the Lord stood by me, well, verse 16. At first, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Back up at 14, he gives the name of another one who caused me great harm, Alexander Cockshut. Even warning in verse 15. Beware of him. So we, we can feel the pastor walking as he writes the comments, Someone who's given his life to serving and building churches and building up disciples. But he himself, walking as it were in the footsteps of Jesus, has felt the betrayal even of those who are close to him. But he tells Timothy, you may experience this with stand firm. Stand firm in the gospel. Pass on to what you know is true. Uh, be prepared in season and out of season to preach the gospel. Very practical there, yes sir. I think in talking about Demas, it's interesting, because the antithesis of that would be John Mark. Yes. yes. That he had no use for early on. Early on. And then and all of a sudden he says, bring it when you talk. He's useful to he is me. he's useful for the industry. That's why we need to watch over each other. <laughs> we don't give up on people, and we watch over one another. We grieve when Greek people wander away. We rejoice when they come back and build a fellowship of saints. Yeah. Paul was a real guy. You know, he wasn't separated from reality. He had scars on his hands and calluses on his fingers and he, had, he would have been beat up plenty of times. He knew pain. He knew deep affection for me. And so that's a great example for us. And then it says the last days will be tough. Where have we heard that before? The only Gospels talk about it. The book of Acts talks about it. 1 Corinthians talks about it. 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, the last days will be tough. And in the last days, chapter 3, verse 1, there will come times of difficulty. That's really been a testimony of the history of the church. Difficulty. And all of this ugly list of sins that are here. We're not new in the first century They're not new to us today. They just show up in different manifestations in each generation. And um, we're told in verse 5 to avoid such people. He gives examples, even from the time of Moses, of those who the inside opposed Moses, so we should not be surprised. There's a lot that could be said about this, but I just appreciate that God... And the providence and guidance of His Holy Spirit allows us to, to get a glimpse of what these men went through. Because by their words they teach us and by their examples they teach us and what does it do in both cases? It points us to Christ. We cling to Christ. Wow, Christ is one who will never abandon. Christ is the one who finishes what He started. Christ is the one who stays with me through it all. Christ is the one who will safely deliver me. And so Paul says, I want to preach nothing but what? Christ crucified. That's the whole point of my ministry. Um, we need to be ready to know how to answer this question. You know, when Jehovah's Witnesses knock in the door, they turn to this passage and say, see, 2 Timothy 3, we're in the end times. We need to be ready with a response. Okay. And want to repent and believe the gospel? Mm-hmm. Because these are the end times. You're facing eternal perdition not necessarily get into an argument about the non-essentials, but to keep it focused on the essentials, because that's, that's what Paul teaches us. Um, any thoughts on that? This is an ugly list.
1: It seems to yeah. me that when he wrote the letters to churches, he didn't name people. But here, when he's writing very personal, and to a friend that he was not necessarily meant to be read by everybody, but other, but but this is this is through my life. This is what's happened. This yes. really hurt me. Yeah,
0: and especially painful to put a name on it, right? A name of someone that really hurt me. That makes it, it means it very personal, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the powerful verses to me <coughs> is that having the appearance of godliness but denying its power causes
0: us to need to be discerning. Yes. Have any of you followed this recent kind of little controversy that has arisen within the Roman Catholic Church where there was a priest who gave the wrong baptismal pronouncement and now the church wants to come and, and say all those baptisms are No good. Which raises a thought, right? I mean, it's like, if I'm performing a baptism, it's not what I'm doing, right? It is what God is doing in the life of the person, right? Right? And I don't agree with the Roman Catholic Church on this issue. I think they're wrong with baptismal regeneration. But I find it odd that they're so into magical words that they'll just disrupt the lives of literally thousands of people because of that. How much better is to stand under God and say, look, it's, uh, it's His doing and we we'll just be your service. But having said that, it shows the importance then of spiritual leaders getting it right. Because it's going to impact so many people. I can think of times where at the time, what I thought were really good Bible teachers or good evangelists that seem to be having a great impact. And they've tuned it. What happens to those people? Well, see, if I just base it on that person, I might have one decision, but if I say it was truth preached and did people respond to the truth, is it possible that God the Holy Spirit was still working in that? I'd say Yes. There are people that were transformed during that time. Now, did everybody that responded? No, but that's the case in every gospel presentation. Okay? There were people that had a great influence in my own life, early on in my Christian life, that completely abandoned the faith. But what they taught me was true. So it depends. It's it's, it's God's Word that's true. It's God's (coughs) principles that endure. But the challenge that Paul is making to Timothy is, look, don't let it get to that point. Be faithful servants of the living God and let your life and your teaching correspond and lay right on top of each other so that you don't cause people to fall. I think there was someone who posed a question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. It's pretty striking that in verse 2 verse of chapter 3 it says, lovers of
1: self, in the list of all the sins, where well, that is held up as something sometimes that we need to do, yet there's a clear sin. And the women talked about it last week, and so that's why it jumped jumped out at me. We couch it in a different way and make it sound like it's a good thing. It's so blunt here.
0: Lovers of self. Self Self-love. You know, just switch it. People go, yeah, Yeah. that sounds good. Self-care, take care of yourself. And all these things that have a hint of truth in it, (laughs) but can mislead us? So I don't know if I can find a picture. And uh, I, I... I took a screenshot of an article that just stuck out. I, was, I didn't think of doing this, but... I'm not going to find it. But I'll just give it to you the... I, I won't even name the person, but it's a famous celebrity who, sa- who said that this particular person is moving on from their current situation because they have decided that it is now me time. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. And if you know who the person was, the entire life of this person has been dedicated to me time. But I thought, isn't it striking that that was the title? And there was boasting, finally setting aside me time. Yeah. Paul says, the last days of good you lovers himself. Wow, nothing new under the sun. Any last thoughts on 2 Timothy? Well, Paul gives us a great example of how to face death and martyrdom. He knows that he's gonna die soon. And what is he doing? pre in influencing people with the gospel, and it shows us an example of how to say goodbye and how to close out your earthly ministry. We're given many details about the last days. In Second Timothy, we hear about Timothy's legacy. His mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, were believers. It's kind of nice to get that little human touch to see what the generations were. Three generations of believers here. Would that we all would have these long legacies in our families of, of spiritual believers, one generation to the next. Here we have three generations. It's like, keep going, Lord. <laughs> we learned about persecution, different names. Um, A trip that we can't find in the book of Acts that he took to Miletus, which is why some think that maybe he did have another missionary journey. I just think that not everything that's recorded about the life of Paul is recorded in the book of Acts. It's just what we need to know. So there would have been some excursions. And then think of the imagery. Christian life, a soldier who's at his post, a farmer who works the field well, a workman who need not be ashamed, a drink offering poured out. The glory of God. We use those movies, no way in daily life. We gain them in large measure from second team. So again, another gift from God that we're grateful to have. And where would we be? What would we miss out on if we didn't have this book? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul was a man of the word, wanted Timothy to be a man of the word, knew that the church needed men of the word, said, Timothy, you be a man of the word. But this is good for all of us, isn't it? Because all of us need to be those guardians with the characteristics of Second Timothy to watch over the truth and to teach the truth. Because, one way or another, following Christ may cost us. I don't know what the immediate future holds. I don't even know what the long-term future holds, except I know about the new heavens and the new earth. I just know that I feel a burden in my own heart to get my people ready for persecution. Because I think we're facing challenges. I think we're facing difficulties that for many of us have not faced before. But they're not anything new to believers. And we can learn from believers who have walked forward how to handle it. Um, it. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to be persecuted for our faith. The early church count, they rejoice that they were counted worthy. We only live this long, <laughs> and eternity is a long time. We can put up with it. We can endure. We can preach. We can live for Christ. And if there's a few rough days, they're just a few rough days in light of eternity, right? You watched the sanity of God again last week, right? <laughs> How God works through persecution to bring great glory. All knew that. And labor end. Yeah. Yes, sir. Just a reminder, uh, 215, that's the Iwana theme verse. Yes. Proved workmen are not ashamed. Approved want are not ashamed. Yes. And that's what we should we should all in that sense be a Wana, right? <laughs> can you be a Wana when you're a little bit older? Mm-hmm. Yes, we can, as the scriptures commands. <laughs> in our, in our. Any any last thoughts, questions? I know it's a sobering message, but it's a good one. Because it's still into the word quote. Yes? I was just thinking, we talked about
1: the Catholic Church and so forth, and leaders being led astray. Does not still count what they did? Anyway, for God, it's always a matter of the heart of the person that's been ministered to. And so, like, for the baptism, yeah, that baptism doesn't help because it's on the child that... And that's a separate issue that we can talk about. Right, right. I mean, yeah.
0: basically the heart hard issue. Yeah. Is. For me, it was just the silliness that they camped out on this one right, right, right. word. And, uh, like, um, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad that we have such a... We have, there's nothing else to do that we can sit around and ponder such trivialities, but... Paul doesn't talk that way. He says, look, the hour is urgent, and know, will keep on pressing on. You're right. Yeah. God in control. God knows the heart. He knows the confession of faith. He honors that. Yes?
1: Speaking of um, when Christians are persecuted, I've been telling the girls at jail, I uh, said, someday I'm going to be where you're sitting now, because I'm going to not give up my faith, and I'm going to be in jail mm-hmm. because of it. And... Um, so I said, "You guys know the ropes. You already know how to survive in jail. You can come visit me." And, and um, so I've had some of them say, "You're right. That's why. That's why God has put us here It's so we can help you
0: when you need us to." Exactly. So
1: Christians are going to, you know, we're going to get help don't we? <laughs> well,
0: and, I, and I'm praying for, and I have been for some time praying for revival. I'm praying for national independence. I'm praying for a country to, to turn the course, but. Do is pray. We have two thousand years of church history, and the entirety of the New Testament tells us it could be rough for Christians. And so, it's better to be prepared, and then we don't face it, than to have expectations that we'll never deal with it, and all of a sudden we do. And so, just to be prepared to say it could come, and if we know it could come, then ultimately, if, we're, if we belong to the Lord and we trust the Lord in His sovereignty, what do we have to be afraid of? And so we need to get our theology straight. When our theology is straight, then we can face it with, like Paul tells Timothy, with endurance, with courage, with steadfastness, and by preaching the word of God. And that's so, occurring right now in China, right? In other places. Place. Oh, yeah. yeah. India, many parts of North Africa, Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan India's uh, persecuting. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I did not you. know that? And you say no. no. Yeah. So I need to pray for our persecuted brethren. That they would keep the joy of the Lord as their strength. That they would stay faithful even in the time. And then one day they might be praying for us, right? Father, we thank you for the discussion we've had today. Thank you for the gift of 1 Timothy and the gift of 2 Timothy. And what we learned from them, thank you that in the kindness of your Holy Spirit you gave it to us. So help us, Father, to understand it well to let it be applied to our lives, to live it out under the power of your Spirit, and then to be joyful in who we are in Christ, because you are the one that's in charge and you are leading us. And thank you for the great future that is before us, even if there's difficulty in the immediate, we look look to the horizon with great anticipation of being in the new heavens and the new earth forever. So keep us steadfast, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.